it's good to see you. Good to be with you this morning. Thanks, Christina uh, and Luke. Luke is, uh, has some long chapters. Our readers are going to have some chunks of scripture to read, so thank you for that. Last week, we, we started our series through the book of Luke. Uh, we met Luke, the beloved physician, uh, who, and we're introduced to this orderly account that he's put together for, uh, for Theophilus um, and also for, I think, the church uh, throughout time and so also for us. Um, some people uh, want to call this, this section of Luke, these first couple chapters, a uh, mythology. Um, primarily because of the, uh, or at least partially because of the references to angels, angels showing up to people. Um, and, and if they mean by saying that these events are not historical, uh, then, then I just have to point out that, that that's not what Luke is saying. That's not how Luke, uh, that's not what Luke allows uh, that option to us. This is said in a very particular place, in a very particular time, uh, with historically verifiable details. This is, just as you read it, it's, it's history. Um, it's factual reporting. Um, th- and that, that's not to disparage myths. I like myths. Uh, but but it's, it's, it, this doesn't start with once upon a time. All right? It starts with in the days of Herod of Judea. But, but if people mean that this story, by, by saying it's mythology, some people, they mean it seems to have some aspect common to the great myths. Right, promises fulfilled, divine interventions, miracles, predictions of a great destiny for a child yet born, awe-inspiring events, uh, then yes, I have to agree. It does have these elements. It shares these elements. And this is part of the wonder, I think, and the truth and the beauty of the Bible, of Scripture, that God could have, you think about it, he could have written us a textbook uh, he could have written us a dictionary or an instruction manual, but he didn't. He gave us stories. He revealed himself uh, preeminently in the person of Jesus, the word made flesh, and in the words that were written about him, the, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are narratives. They're, they're stories of his life and ministry. And these stories, this story is what we get to dig into in Luke. And it's why I'm very excited to go through this gospel together. So let's just soak in this story today and see what God might want to bring out and bring to light in our hearts and in our lives together. Um, The story is going to be in in four parts today. A priest and his wife, a divine encounter, a promise and destiny, and then a sign and a secret. Let's pray once more uh, before we dive in. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for your word. I thank you that you have given us stories. Lord, in, in your wisdom, uh, that was not a mistake. Lord, w- would you open this story to us? Would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word? Lord, you, you know what each of us need to hear, the challenge, the, the rebuke, the promise, the comfort, the encouragement, whatever it is. Lord, help us to be open to you, open to your work and hearing your voice. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First, a priest and his wife. This is verse five. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. 
So in the days of Herod, uh, who ruled Judea for Rome, underneath Rome's uh, jurisdiction from 37 to 4 BC, uh, so this is probably toward the end of his rule, we meet an older couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest, it says, of Abijah's division, which is one of those details, right, that shows this is, this is history. Someone in the first century could have verified that, right? We see that this, this couple is righteous, it says, in God's sight. And of course, this doesn't, doesn't mean they're sinless. I know no one is sinless. Rather, it means they're godly people. They're good people. They trust the Lord. They follow and they serve him. But there's a problem. They have a problem. They don't have any children because Elizabeth is barren. Children uh, are a blessing from the Lord, we know, um, in Scripture. And, and, and they were seen even more so as a blessing in this traditional culture. Um, in, in an agricultural society, like when most people are farmers, uh, having children is not an, an optional luxury as it sometimes is, is seen today, but an economic necessity. Right? It, was, it was a real hit not to have children. Right? It was a real economic hit. And I, I try to work this out in my family too by giving lots of chores. Right? That's what... <laughs> um, in, in a society without many social services, who would take care of you in your old age if you didn't have children? Um, and of course, uh, a son to carry on the family name, to be an heir, that was very important um, in this time. And so because of all these things, there was a stigma to not having children, a certain shame, a certain disgrace. And, and people might have thought, and, and we see this in other, in other parts of the gospel, um, that, that perhaps one of them, perhaps Zachariah and Elizabeth had sinned or their parents had sinned to cause this. Maybe they weren't actually righteous. This was some type of punishment from the Lord that they were not able to conceive. So put yourself in the story. Think about this. Good people following and serving the Lord. And, and they've always wanted to have kids, but they haven't been able to. They knew, right? They, they, they were priests, right? Or Zechariah was a priest. Elizabeth was, was from the priestly tribe, from Aaron's, one of the tribe of Aaron, um, one of Aaron's sons. Uh, they, they knew the stories of the patriarchs really well, right? From about 2,000 years before their time, before the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth, of Abraham and Sarah being infertile. And then, what, having Isaac in their old age, a gift from God. They knew of Rebecca, Isaac's wife, being infertile, and God opening her womb in answer to prayer to, so that she could have Jacob and Esau. Uh, we, we see even, uh, even uh, Jacob's wife, the Lord remembering and listening to Jacob's wife, Rachel, and giving her a son, Joseph, and then another son later, Benjamin. They knew these stories. So, so Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed. They must have prayed in hope. Ask for children. God, would you give us a child? But for years and years and years, none came. Perhaps they wondered if God still worked as he did all those years ago, or was that just back in Torah times? All their friends were having kids, raising families, and they were faithfully trusting the Lord but weren't able to have kids. All their friends' children grew up and started having families of their own. And still, it was just Zechariah and Elizabeth. Some of you know this heartbreak, this trial very well. Some of you have, have a different but similar struggle. 
Maybe you're waiting for something good, something, uh, a blessing from the Lord that you've always expected in life, but it just hasn't come to you. And I wonder what God might want to say to you through this story this morning. Second, we see a divine encounter. Verse eight, when his division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. Um, There were around 18,000, it's estimated, priests at this time. And so there were so many priests, and and, uh, all of them couldn't serve at once, so they were divided into divisions, uh, and then they were, each division was kind of on duty for two weeks out of the year. And and as they were on duty, they were then chosen, there were still too many, they were then chosen by lot as to who would do what. And so uh, they they were chosen by lot to go into the holy place and burn incense for either the morning or the evening sacrifice. Um, And if you ever got to do this, it was sort of like winning the lottery. You only got chosen once if it ever happened. Um, And so it was an important task. It was a real honor. This would have been probably the the biggest moment in Zechariah's life and career, right, to get to to burn incense and and go go do this for the people. So so see it. Zechariah, he's an old man. He's preparing himself for this task. He's, he's cleansing himself. He's putting on his priestly robes. He's making ready in all the ways that the Lord, uh, the Lord prescribed to him. The whole assembly is outside, it says. They're praying as the priests go in. Um, it's likely that Zechariah went into the holy place with four other priests, um, and then kind of they, they all did their different tasks, and then they would uh, probably withdraw and leave Zechariah in there to, to burn the incense and then come out and proclaim the blessing. Um, the incense was a, was a symbol of, of, of the prayers of the people, a pleasing aroma to God. So Zechariah, they're in there. The, the other priest withdraws. Zechariah's left alone in the holy place, right, on the border of the holy of holies where God's presence dwelled with his people, like the seam, as it were, between God and his people. And just then, an angel appears to the right of the altar, and Zechariah, it says, is, is terrified and overcome with fear. It's kind of, he's very afraid, right? Which is, in fact, how everyone responds when they see an angel in the Bible. Like, we have, you know, little chubby baby angels with, you know, and that's not what angels are. <laughs> These are terrifying warriors of light. Like, when people see angels, their usual response is just to go, they, it says, they fell down as if dead. It's just like, well, I'm done. It's over. Like, my life is, is, is over. This is how I, this is how I go. Um, the angels are terrifying. Zechariah, uh, he's faithfully doing his job, right? And God meets him in this amazing way. Uh, angels don't show up often in scripture, uh, but, but when they do, they usually have a really life-changing message. And I think this is important to say, some people seek this type of miraculous revelation a lot. And God certainly does uh, in scripture and in life. He, he can speak to people in dreams and visions uh, by angels appearing to them. But, but it's not the normal way. It's not the normal way. And here we see Zechariah, he's not, he's not seeking this. He's just going about his priestly duties faithfully. Is it wrong to seek this type of revelation? I don't think so, no. I don't, there's no commands against it. Right, but, but it would be a shame, I think, to let 
seeking that kind of revelation, this kind of miraculous, seeing an angel, seeing a vision, having a dream, to seek that, uh, it, would, it would be a shame if that distracted us from the regular daily and weekly faithfulness that God is calling us to. Right? God has given us what some call the ordinary means of grace, his word, prayer, his church, obedience, etc. Right? If, if God meets us miraculously, praise his name. That's great. Now, if he, if he does do that, it's likely actually to happen probably while we're daily giving ourselves to prayer and to studying the word and to obeying it in our church family and community. And it's not likely to happen all the time. It's not the ordinary experience of a Christian to talk with angels. And that's okay. That's all right. It is, however, the ordinary experience of Christians to speak to God in prayer and to hear from him by his word daily. And so we should always pursue that in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at what the angel says. A promise and a destiny. Verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. The angel says, don't be afraid, which again is how angels have to start. Uh, don't be afraid. And then he says, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Just think about this for a moment. The, 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 this is what the angel says first. Your, your prayer's been heard, Zechariah. Gabriel, this is the angel Gabriel, we'll discover in a moment, that's his name, um, has actually said this before. Right, Daniel is, is one of my favorites. Um, Gabriel gets to him, you can read about this in Daniel chapter nine, and says that when he first started praying, the answer went out. Uh, but he's just now getting there to deliver it. Gabriel's like, sorry, it took me a minute, uh, but yeah, I'm here now. He says, your prayer's been heard because you are treasured by God, Daniel. And he says the same thing to Zechariah here. Your prayer's been heard. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to hear from an angel, a messenger of God? Your prayer's been heard. But church, haven't we heard this? Don't we have the same promise from God himself? 1 John 5, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. God hears you, beloved son or daughter of the king. God heard Zachariah and Elizabeth when they were asking for a son and for decades didn't get an answer. But he heard. And in his timing, he gave them a son. I don't know what your situation is, what you're struggling with, but Christian, please hear this. Your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. You are treasured by your father. You can choose to believe that or not. It doesn't make it any less true. 
You'll have a son, Gabriel says. There'll be great joy and delight for you. Many will rejoice at his birth. This is an answer to your prayer. This is an answer to your longing, Zechariah. But this son of yours also has a larger purpose. And Gabriel, in no uncertain terms, then describes John as being a prophet. John is the last of the the Old Testament prophets. He's a bridge between the old and the new. Uh, It says he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be consecrated to God in a special way, which is why he will abstain from drinking alcohol. Right? I almost almost named the sermon, uh, never drink wine or beer. Just kidding, sorry, bad joke. Uh, right, but he, he, this is, this would, uh, Nazarites would do this, right, in Jewish tradition. They would, they would commit to God not to drink wine or beer for their lives or for certain periods. They were spe- this was a special consecration to God. Uh, and, and, then, and then using, using uh, l- language directly from Malachi 4, right after saying he's going to be filled with the Spirit from the womb, this is a special prophet, not just filled with the Spirit in his adulthood, but even from birth, uh, he goes to Malachi 4 and says that the boy would in the spirit and power of Elijah turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to prepare the way of the Lord. This, pa- this passage in Malachi foretells that there would be, uh, that Elijah would come. Right? Before God himself visits his people, Elijah will come and will prepare the way. That's what he says. And this promise rings out over the 400 years of silence between the, new, the Old Testaments and the New. Gabriel is, is telling Zechariah in ways that a priest who studied the law could not have missed, your son is the Elijah promised by Malachi. God is keeping his promise in your time in history through your son. This is the promise. You'll have a son. And this, this is his destiny. He'll prepare the way of the Lord. A sign and a secret. Look at how Zechariah responds to the angel. Verse 18, how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, for I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Um, it's, it's hard to get tone from the text, uh, but, but from Gabriel's response here, we know that this is not a believing uh, answer. It's not a believing question that Zechariah asks. And commentators all point out that Zechariah, is, he's asking for a sign. How can I know this is going to be true? All right, this isn't Mary's response to Gabriel a little later in this chapter, who says, how can this be? Right? How can this be? I've not been with a man. Um, this is an unbelieving response. This is uh, Eugene Peterson translates it this way in the message. Do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife's an old woman. And this is why Gabriel responds as he does. Verse 19, the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. I love this. Gabriel says, Zach, you want a sign? Maybe, maybe, oh, you thought I was a different Gabriel. Let me just clarify. I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Like, he sent me to tell you this message, <laughs> right? I like, this is, the me- this is the sign everyone wants. I wish, I wish an angel would just appear and tell me what God wants, right? This is, Gabriel's like, I'm, I don't have any more. Like, this is the sign, uh, right? I, I am a supernatural messenger from God. Um, this is what he says. Pastor uh, Thabiti Anabwile, in his commentary on Luke, points out, 
that Zechariah is looking here at his limitations rather than his Lord. And I, I love that. I think, I think it's so true. If you focus on your limitations, your weaknesses, your inability, your powerlessness, then you won't be able to believe the promises of God. Right? If God's promises to you depend on your carrying them out, then you're doomed. <laughs> and I'm doomed, aren't we? Right? We can't do this. We can't, we can't make these things happen. No. Praise God, God's promises do not depend on you carrying them out. Right? They depend on him, on him carrying them out. And so we are to focus not on our own very real limitations, right? Zachariah and Elizabeth, we're beyond childbearing age. It's a real limitation, right? But we are to focus on the Lord, on his love, on his power, on his promise and his presence. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We saw in Philippians. Verse 20, now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Zechariah gets a sign, uh, but it's not a sign that he would have chosen. That involves him being silent. Uh, he's mute. And uh, it seems like also deaf uh, from later in the chapter when they're signing to him. What's, what, should John, what should the name be? And he's, he, it seems like he can't even understand when people are talking to him. And so he's mute until the promise is fulfilled. And we see this take effect immediately. The priest is supposed to come out, pronounce a blessing to the people, and he comes out and he can't, he can't speak. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. It was a, usually a fast process to burn the incense. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Elizabeth, in her old age, and to her delight, gets pregnant. She hides herself for five months, and the text doesn't tell us why. Um, in, in between services, I, I kind of have like a nice guess, um, but in between services, uh, Amy Grimmie, who is with child, uh, came up and she was like, I think she probably just had bad morning sickness. She was really old. I'm like, you probably got something right there. Uh, <laughs> could have been that, right? I, I don't know why it was, right? Uh, I, I know later on in this chapter, Mary, um, you know, it, it, Mary, it says that she's treasuring all these things in her heart. Right, she's meditating on them. I wonder if it was that. I wonder if this was such a, a beautiful promise, a, a beautiful thing to happen to her that she's praising God, thanking God. Um, she says, the Lord has done this for me. Right, here's what she says. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Right, this woman who has endured sideways glances, silent judgment, perhaps chiding and outright uh, you know, shaming for her childlessness is going to have a son. The beauty and the wonder here at the beginning of Luke, is, it's just stunning. What, what's happening in this passage? A barren couple is blessed with a child in their old age. God is seeing Elizabeth's disgrace 
and he's looking with favor on her and taking it away. Also a bear in Israel who has not heard a word from God in 400 years is blessed with a prophet, with the fulfillment of a promise. God is looking on his people like all we, like sheep, have gone astray. And he's fulfilling his promise. He's enacting his plan to take away our shame and disgrace. God is acting in time, in history. He's blessing a couple. He's blessing a nation. He's blessing the world. He keeps his promises. And I think in the the tedium of day-to-day life, it's easy to forget that the same God who sent Gabriel to Zechariah that day in the temple is still working in the world. Maybe you look at at this event, Zechariah and Elizabeth, 2,000 years ago, right? Like Zechariah and Elizabeth may have looked at Abraham and Sarah 2,000 years before them and thought, God doesn't work like that anymore. He, He doesn't answer prayer like that. He's not involved like he was back then. He, he doesn't care about little ordinary me here and now. But he does. He still cares. He still lives. And he still speaks. Frederick Buechner is a uh, a, a writer, theologian, uh, guy that I really enjoy. Um, Listen to what he says about God speaking. God speaks to us, I would say, much more often than we realize or than we choose to realize. Before the sun sets every evening, he speaks to us, each of us, in an intensely personal and unmistakable way. His message is not written out in starlight, which in the long run would make no difference. Rather, it is written out for each of us in the humdrum, helter-skelter events of each day. It is a message that in the long run might just make all the difference. Who knows what he will say to me today or you today or into the midst of what kind of unlikely moment he will choose to say it. Not knowing is what makes today a holy mystery as every day is a holy mystery. He goes on a little later to define more clearly what he's talking about. What does it mean, God's speaking to us? What's he talking about? He says this, God speaks to us about ourselves, about what he wants us to do and what he wants us to become. And this is the area where I believe that we know so much more about him than we admit, even to ourselves, where people hear God speak even if they do not believe in him. A face comes towards us down the street. Do we raise our eyes or do we keep them lowered, passing by in silence? Somebody says something about somebody else and what he says happens not to be not only cruel but also funny and everybody laughs. Do we laugh too or do we speak the truth? When a friend has hurt us, do we take pleasure in hating him because hate has its pleasures as well as love or do we try to build back some flimsy little bridge? Sometimes when we are alone, thoughts come swarming into our heads like bees Some of them destructive, ugly, self-defeating thoughts. Some of them creative and glad. Which thoughts do we choose to think then, as much as we have the choice? Will we we be brave today or a coward today? Not in some big way, probably, but in some little foolish way, yet brave still. Will we be honest today or a liar? 
Just some little pint-sized honesty, but honest still. Will we be a friend or cold as ice today? All the absurd little meetings, decisions, inner skirmishes that go to make up our days. It all adds up to very little, and yet it all adds up to very much. Our days are full of nonsense, and yet not, because it is precisely into the nonsense of our days that God speaks to us words of great significance. Not words that are written in the stars, but words that are written into the raw stuff and nonsense of our days, which are not nonsense just because God speaks into the midst of them. C.S. Lewis uh, came to faith when his love for mythology, he was especially into Norse mythology, uh, like the Odin and Thor and the, you know, those, those people. Um, when when his, his love for mythology came together with the truth of scripture, he said this, now the story of Christ is simply a true myth, a myth working on us in the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. In time and in history, God speaks. God keeps his promises. God redeems. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The question, I think, is do we have ears to hear and eyes to see? Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you for this story, this very specific story of this couple, this ordinary couple who you blessed. Lord, thank you that you care for us. And Lord, thank you that in time and history and, and now and forever, you are working your plan you are acting, you are speaking, you are directing. Lord, where, where we doubt you, where we doubt your presence, where we doubt your power, would you open our eyes? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you lead us to, to understand reality as it is? Father, for anyone in here who, who doesn't know you, um, who hasn't trusted in your son, I just pray that you would pour your love into their hearts. You would reveal yourself to them in a way they can't deny, they can't explain away. You'd show them your, how much you love them and draw them to yourself. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.